0: So today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Carrying on where we left off. Matthew three thirteen um, to 4, 25. And I'm reading from the NIV. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I, I need to be baptised by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, A light has dawned. From that time on Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who, all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralysed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Our second reading is from Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. And the reason we've got this reading is to draw this parallel that Matthew's drawing out for us between the Israelites coming out of Egypt into the wilderness and Jesus who came out of Egypt and into the wilderness. So just have a listen. Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you in manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son so the Lord God disciplines you. Who do you trust? I got a call recently Apparently, there's a lawsuit pending against me from the Australian tax office regarding unpaid taxes. I know this because a bloke with a kind of a robotic voice told me on the phone, and all I had to do was press 1 to find out my options. Well, of course, it didn't push the button because, as most of us know, these things are scams. They aren't going to deliver. They sound shonky, and so you don't trust them. But who or what do you trust? Because we place a really high premium on trust, don't we? Those I know who are most hurt and damaged in life, it's not the bereaved, although bereavement really hurts. It's the betrayed, isn't it? People who've been betrayed. And those you keep most at arm's length in life, people you don't trust. Your gut tells you something's not quite right, so you keep your distance. So who do you trust? We rightly place a huge value on trustworthiness for things in life um, so how much more should we for our eternal life? If the Bible's right and this present life isn't all there is, we want to trust in the right things for life after death? So as we start 2021, who or what are you trusting in? What are you relying on to make 2021 a good year? Is it some relationships? Maybe how things go with family, with work? What will be the thing that dominates what, how that dominates how you decide what you do? What you invest your time and money in? Because that is what you trust in. And can you really trust that thing to deliver in this life? Can you really trust in it for your life after death. So Christians, every one of us will rightly say that our headline is, we trust Jesus. But as we start 2021, I want us to ask ourselves, are there areas of my life that I'm holding back on, on Jesus, because I don't trust him with them? Because at heart, I'm not sure that Jesus and his gospel is better news than my way of doing things. So we're starting this new series today, continuing in Matthew's gospel, a new kingdom. We've heard from John the Baptist and now Jesus has the same message uh, summed up in chapter four, verse 17. So it'd be good if you have your Matthew's gospel open in front of you, chapter three and four. So four, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus says he is God's king. His command is turn away from ruling over yourself and recognise me as your king. Jesus' call to every one of us is to trust him with our lives. So what we're going to do today with Matthew is have a good long stare, a good careful weighing up of Jesus as he starts his job and ask Can Jesus be trusted? Or is he just another big mouth pretender who promises so much, but is just as bad as the rest of us? So your outline for today's talk, looking at three phases or scenes that give us the eyewitness account of the start of Jesus' ministry. He's a trustworthy son, trustworthy in temptation, trustworthy in action. Trustworthy son, trustworthy in temptation, trustworthy in action. Excuse me. First then, we learn Jesus comes highly recommended as God's trustworthy son. His trustworthy son. So far in Matthew's Gospel, we've been, we've been looking at it over Christmas. So far, Jesus has been really bigged up, really spruced before we even meet him. He's the long-promised rescuer king in the line of David. He comes to fulfil the promise to Abraham of blessing the nations. Foreign dignities have been to come and worship him. Even his name, he's God with us. He will save us from sin. John the Baptist has been the promised messenger. Come to get people ready for him. And has basically said to great crowds, all the Old Testament prophecies are about to be fulfilled by this king. So that's the tension in the air as Jesus arrives on the scene, what is this king gonna be like? If this gospel were fiction, I guess what would be written would be that a a handsome, chiselled hero arrives on the scene, charismatically greeting the people, giving John a pat on the back and taking over control. Thanks John, I'm here now. But this isn't fiction. It's an eyewitness account. What actually happens is that Jesus comes to John for baptism like everyone else so John protests he knows that Jesus is holy that Jesus hasn't got anything to repent of Jesus insists saying it's what God wants and right now from the start he shows that he's trustworthy because he's all about obeying God faithfully if you're employing someone for a job it's good to get references for them isn't it to get an insight into what they're like to work with from someone who's worked alongside them before, well Jesus has coexisted with God the Father in all eternity, and he now give, gives God the Son, Jesus, his glowing recommendation so verse sixteen chapter three, verse sixteen. as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water at that moment. Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God himself speaks to tell us that two important songs from the Bible are about this man, Jesus. First, This is my Son, whom I love, is from Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is a song that asks the question, Why does the world plot in vain to throw off God's rule and against his promised Messiah? Um, It's plotting in vain because God says to his Messiah, he said to me, you are my son, today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So right here at this fixed point in history, To the real human being, Jesus, God says, that psalm's about you. God wants us to believe that Jesus is the one who will rule over the whole world and judge those who rebel against God. That's who Jesus is. But there's another song lyric as well. With you, I am well pleased. And that one's from Isaiah 42, from one of what we call the servant songs. And these are songs about a servant of God who is completely faithful, the ideal Israelite, yet one who will be unspectacular, ordinary looking, and one who would bear our suffering and be punished by God despite being completely innocent. So God's king is to be an all-powerful king, but he's also going to be a servant king, winning our salvation, through suffering. So big question is, can Jesus be trusted to be that kind of king? Yes. After all the heralding, all the great expectation built up about Jesus to this point, the first thing he does is to obey God by serving us. So you might remember um, that we saw that baptism is about identifying yourself with something well jesus humbles himself by being baptized identifying as one of us so that he can save us so you can trust jesus because despite deserving john and everyone there bowing down and worshiping him, him worshiping him he gives all that up so that he can serve them serve us instead Next Jesus so shows he is trustworthy in temptation. Trustworthy in temptation. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Now just notice who does what in this scenario. Chapter 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God leads him into the wilderness. God's in control here and Satan or the devil does the tempting. And the big question is, will Jesus be trustworthy and resist temptation? Or will he fail like those who have been called God's son before? You see, Adam was called God's son. And he rejected the goodness of God's loving, generous rule in favour of calling the shots himself. Later, God's people, Israel, were called God's son. And this testing in the wilderness thing... Uh, God's got form here because he did this with Israel after their escape from Egypt that's why we had Deuteronomy 8 read Uh, verse 2 Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands so, the same thing's happening to Jesus. Jesus, as a child, came out of Egypt just like his ancestors, fulfilling yet more prophecies. And now he's going to be tested in the wilderness. Will he be like every other Israelite, putting himself first, proving untrustworthy, or will he do something else? These temptations are real, specific temptations, aren't they? I mean probably not the ones we face day to day. But Matthew does note that Jesus is hungry, so there's an earthy everydayness to these temptations as well as a cosmic battle of good and evil about them. Now, just a side note for this part of the passage, um Jesus temptation, we can learn lots from this passage about how to deal with our own temptation. We are more vulnerable when we're stressed and hungry, for example. It is a great thing to have the truth of scripture memorised to shoot down Satan's lies. But I reckon you already know that, and I don't think that that's the point of this section. No, what Matthew wants us to see is whether Jesus will be a servant king, or if he will give in and be tempted away from the path of humility that he's chosen. So it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Verse three and four, Jesus is tempted to serve himself, but he knows there's something more important than physical comfort, trusting in God's word. Satan knows Jesus could provide himself any comfort with a blink of an eye, anytime he wanted to. But if Jesus is gonna go this way of humility and suffering in our place to save us, he's gonna have to deny himself and trust God's plan And at this first test, that's exactly what he does. So then verse 5 to to 7, Jesus is tempted to test God, to test God. Satan misuses Psalm 91 in much the same way lots of people quote it these days, suggesting that anyone who trusts in God will not come to any physical harm. Well, Psalm 91 does promise that those trusting in God won't come to ultimate harm, eternal harm. Ultimately, we will be rescued. But Psalm 91 can't mean that God will rescue from every unreasonable risk you take. Because as Jesus points out, Deuteronomy 6.16 explicitly commands us not to test God like that. So Jesus' kingship isn't going to be about his authority being proven by rescue from harm. Jesus is trustworthy because he's willing to humble himself to the greatest harm in history, his death on the cross. So if our faith is one that measures God's love for us in terms of lack of suffering, it's a faith that's very different to that of Jesus. Then verses 8 to 10, Satan's most bold temptation, he tempts Jesus to worship him. Satan offers Jesus all the beauty and the power and the pleasure this life has to offer. And essentially what he's offering is the same that God has already promised Jesus. Psalm chapter 2 verse 8, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth your possession. So Satan's offering the same kind of thing, but cutting out all that unpleasant cross business, all that rejection, betrayal and suffering. Satan says, just worship me, even just for a moment. And all that can be yours the easy way. Can you trust Jesus? He could have had it all in a heartbeat. But he denied himself that because of his love for God and because of his love for you and for me. Did you notice the little word that Satan keeps using to try and undermine God? If. If. See, God had declared at Jesus' baptism that he is his son. Satan comes in and says, if you are the son of God as if God having spoken, Jesus somehow had anything to prove. Satan did the same thing in the Garden of of Eden, making up a tension, creating a problem that didn't really exist, to sow doubt in Adam and Eve's minds. At every turn, Satan is offering an alternative route to glory, one that bypasses the suffering of the cross. So it's no surprise that what Jesus will later call Peter in Matthew 16, Jesus has started telling Peter that he must suffer and die. Peter took him aside and said to it, said, and began to rebuke him, "Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you." Jesus turned to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling- block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. But merely human concerns and that tempting if makes another appearance when Jesus is on the cross Matthew 27 you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days this is the religious leaders yelling up to him you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days save yourself come down from the cross if you are the son of God Jesus through whom the very elements, the nails through his body were formed, could of course have come down from the cross any moment he chose to. But he knew he must endure it to save his people, to save us from our sin. Can you trust Jesus? Have you ever heard in all reality or fantasy or fiction. Such single-minded, determined, faithful integrity. Such purity of purpose for the sake of others, undiverted even when we're still shaking our fist or plugging our ears in rebellion. Even when absolutely anything else would have been an easier option. Jesus never gave in. He was never unfaithful. So he is completely qualified to save us from our unfaithfulness. He's won that power and authority because he remained completely trustworthy. You can trust Jesus with your life. So briefly now, let's look at how Jesus is trustworthy in action. Trustworthy in action, our final heading. Verse 11 to 16, we get a bit of a map reading exercise, don't we? All of which is to show that Jesus' very living arrangements point to him being the saviour, servant, king. And grand claim about him, verse 16, that he is the light that has come into the world to overcome the spiritual death that our prideful rebellion against God brings us. So can you trust someone making such grand claims? Is Jesus at last being the kind of leader we're used to, prone to arrogance and self-interest. Well, it's only arrogance if what he says is not true. And what comes in verses 23 to 25 gives every indication that Jesus is who he says he is. Because what happens when Jesus starts out is what you would expect if God's king had turned up. Uh, later in Matthew's Gospel, John the Baptist seems, still seems a bit unsure about G- if Jesus is the promised one. And to convince him, convince him, reassure him, Jesus quotes Isaiah 35 about himself. He says this, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. To illustrate, at the moment I'm helping Ben to build me an office. Uh, I've trusted Ben to be able to convert half our garage into this office, a room that I can use. Now, why would I trust Ben to do that? Well, it's because I've seen how handy he is generally and I've seen how high his standards are in general. And very specifically, I've seen that he's successfully done a very similar project on his own home. I've seen him in action and it backs up what he says. Can you trust Jesus? When he's in action, what he does backs up what he says. He acts with compassion, with grace, in the interests of others, with all power, with all authority. So what is Jesus' message? He's so trustworthy, so compassionate. Don't you reckon he's worth listening to? Let's hear his message again. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, turn around. And how to do that is fleshed out in verses 18 to 22, as Jesus calls his first disciples. Verse 19, he says, come follow me. And they drop everything immediately. That's what repentance is. Dropping anything that stops you following Jesus. And Jesus has got the same call for us today. Repent and follow me. Not repent and make me a nice hobby, just another interest. No. Jesus calls us to make him central to who we are and what our life is all about. And that's costly. God's grace to us in Jesus is the free gift that costs you your life. Because it's a life trusting in Jesus instead of trusting something else, like everybody else does. But I hope you've seen today, Jesus is trustworthy. You can trust him with your life. Can you say the same of anything else that you might put your trust in? A relationship, a job, a strong self-identity. That thing that eats away and shares the affection that should be just for Jesus alone. The thing you trust in that is the pressure point that compromises your discipleship. Can you trust in those things? They might deliver some good in this life, but what if... They're taken away. And what about when you die? Will what you trust in that's not Jesus help you then? Well, Jesus will. You can trust Jesus for the best life now, albeit with struggle and suffering, yet still the best life that there is to live on earth. And you can trust Jesus for a perfect eternal life after death. So let me make better use of the word if. If. If Jesus is this trustworthy, what is holding you back from trusting him with all your life? What will convince you to trust him? You can trust Jesus. Repent. Turn to Jesus in belief. And follow him.